chapter 21, Genesis chapter 21 this morning. We're all the uh, well. See if that'll help a little. Uh, saw there in the wilderness the uh, well, and as she saw that well, she came to it, and of course God met her there, and she said that he was the God who sees me in Gen- uh, Genesis chapter 16. And uh, God uh, revealed himself there at that well to this woman named Hagar, who really is uh, nothing more in the culture of the day than just an Egyptian slave. There was nothing about her, humanly speaking, that would have said uh, that she would receive such an honor. She had that promise that was made to her that God would uh, bless her seed, the only woman in the Bible to whom that promise was made. Just an incredible uh, story as God revealed himself in a very special way, to Hagar. Now as we come to Genesis chapter 21, we'll find the next well in our study. And at this well, we find again uh, an Old Testament picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we call a type of Christ. And uh, here in Genesis chapter 21, we find this well is the well of repentance and redemption. Repentance and redemption. You know there's a difference between uh, having something revealed And then making a decision to repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ. I thought it was interesting uh, knowing the direction that we were going in the series uh, on Wednesday night when Brother Keogh was talking about there was a time uh, in Cambodia where he came to the understanding, or as he got to that camp he was talking about, that he came to the understanding of who Jesus was. And uh, he said, I was a believer. I believed in Jesus. I believed Jesus was God. I immediately believed that. He said, I was a believer, but I was not yet born again. I was not yet saved. I believed in who Jesus was, but I did not yet understand how to to make the decision to trust Christ as my Savior. And then he talked about uh, later, as he would come to America, that he would learn what it meant to place his trust in Christ and receive Jesus as his Savior. And that's much the same story, I think, that Hagar would have here. Different places, different times, obviously, but her story would be very similar. There's a moment in time where God came to her at that first well in Genesis chapter 16 and revealed himself, and she instantly believed that this God, the God of Abraham, the God who was... uh, Uh, speaking to her, the God who saw her in her time of greatest need, she immediately believed that that was indeed the one true God. And yet, she's going to come to this next well several years later before she's going to come to the time of repentance and the time of redemption. We see Genesis chapter 21, and if you would uh, like to stand with me just for a moment, I'll invite you to do that as we read the scripture this morning. Genesis chapter 21, and beginning in verse number 9, it says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her uh, her voice. 
For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the, chi- and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today as we examine this next well. I pray that you would help the application uh, to be made right and clearly. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have to obviously ask, what is the difference between the well of revelation and redemption? Isn't it enough to merely know who God is and have a desire to serve Him and to please Him? And maybe someone this morning, you would say, you know, uh, Pastor, I've uh, maybe been to church before, maybe even been in this church uh, many times, but the reality is, I know who Jesus is. I believe that Jesus is God. And you know, I really desire to have a relationship with Him. I desire to serve Him. I come to church on a regular basis. I do a lot of good things. And uh, I'm doing my best to please Him. Isn't that enough? Isn't that what I need to be doing? And you know, really, that's where Hagar was. In Genesis chapter 16, she gets a sense of religion. In Genesis chapter 16, she's going to have a sense of uh, doing some things in order to try to please God. In Genesis chapter 16, she believes who he is. But not until Genesis chapter 21 is there repentance. You know, the same thing might be true for somebody who's been in a church for a long time or somebody who's been to church a lot of times. And, and you might be here this morning and say, you know, uh, I've done a lot of things to try to please God and I've done a lot of things to try to make him happy. But the reality is this, knowing that Jesus is God is not enough. And knowing that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again on the third day and believing with all of your heart that that is true, that is not enough. For there are many who will know those facts and yet die and go to hell for all of eternity. Doing all that we can to please God and doing all that we can to make Him happy and even a deep desire for a personal relationship with Him and laboring as hard as we can to try to develop that, it simply will not create a personal relationship with the Holy God of Heaven. But the one thing that will is when we come by the way of the cross, the way of the Bible, We come to God with a repentant spirit and we say, you know, I'm turning from everything else that I've ever believed, everything else that I've ever held to, everything that I've ever done or tried to do to please God. I'm turning from that to Jesus alone and I'm making a decision to receive Jesus as my Savior. There must be a moment of decision. There must be a moment where we take what we know, where we take even what we believe and make an actual decision based upon it. And so that's what we will see with Hagar here today. I want you to notice some of the differences between Genesis chapter 16, if you remember back to there uh, last week, and Genesis chapter 21. In Genesis chapter 16, in verse number 13, we saw that Hagar said that she looked after him. Has the idea that she submitted to him. She submitted to God. She tried to please him. She, uh, she cared about what he thought. Uh, she did like many would today. They care about God. They are concerned with uh, their eternity. They have a desire to please God and to serve him. Uh, he had been revealed to her, and so therefore she responded in a sense But while he had been revealed, she never received anything. Uh, In Genesis chapter 21, however, we will see that Hagar finally realizes here that the only thing she can produce through her own labor is death. And that her own labor will never provide life. Life is provided only 
in the well. Life is provided only in the working of a holy God. We see here uh, that she looked after him. She didn't understand that. In verse number 8 of chapter 16, uh, if you were to look there, you would see that she was still self-reliant. She's still leaning on her own understanding, leaning on her own direction, trying to set a direction for life and trying to figure things out. But now as we come to chapter 21, we'll find that she has come to a complete end of herself and her own abilities. No longer does she think that she can figure out something uh, even in the midst of a crisis. She's come to the place where there's no hope. In chapter 16, she has never seen weeping. She was excited to know that there was a God who loved her. She was excited to know that there was a God who was looking after her in her time of greatest need, but she was never personally broken completely about her own sin before that God. However, in chapter six, uh, excuse me, in uh, verse 16 of chapter 21, we see that she is now weeping. She is now broken. She is now desperate for God to save her. In chapter 16, she understood that there was a God. She even understood who that God was, and yet her eyes are never in chapter 16 fully opened to comprehend the salvation of the Lord. But in chapter uh, 21 and verse number 19, the Bible tells us that her eyes were opened by God so that she could see the well, so that she could see the place of that decision that needed to be made. And so we see there are some contrasts here between these two places. She realizes in chapter 21 that the only hope of salvation was through the provision that God made for her before she ever even knew she had a need. Isn't it something that God provides for our need before we ever know we have it? And aren't you glad God provided for our need of salvation before we were even born to know we had a need of salvation? Praise the Lord that our God provided previously. There is no account in chapter 16 of Hagar ever partaking of the well or drawing from the well. Now, probably she did, but there's no account of that. The Bible does not record that. And I believe that's part of the picture that God is drawing because in chapter 21, we see that she does actually now draw from the well and she'll be able to partake of the well. She also gives to Ishmael from the well. So I want you to notice this morning, five observations concerning the well of Beersheba that we will see here in chapter 21. We've read down to verse number uh, 14. The Bible tells us in verse number 15, the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs and she went and sat, uh, and she went and sat her down over against him a good way off as it were, a bow shot. So here's what's going to happen. Hagar comes to the place where there's no hope, there's no help, there's no way out of the situation. Every hope that this world could provide has been completely removed. She's come to a place that she's at an end of herself and there's nothing that can be provided by her labor, by her works, or by her means except what will produce death. And so recognizing that, she places the child under the shrub, giving him some sense at least of protection from the sun and the heat. And she knows that he's going to be weeping, wailing. Uh, the, the sounds of a dying child are going to come. And she does not desire to hear that. So she goes far enough away that she expects she's not going to hear the sounds of her son as he passes away, knowing she'll probably last just a little bit longer than he will in the desert heat. And so it's a, it's a terrible situation. It's really a horrible picture, and it's really a, uh, a picture that is very uh, discouraging. It's a picture that uh, we would look at and say, what an awful place to be out in this wilderness, this desert. There's no hope, there's no help, and here she is all alone, and there's nothing she can do. And so she places him there, and she goes off this bow shot, and, and she begins to just know that this is the end. There's nothing else that can happen. 
But as she's there, the Bible tells us in verse number 17 that God heard the voice of the child. Isn't it interesting? It doesn't say he heard Hagar's voice. He heard the voice of the child. He heard Ishmael. And I don't know if that means Ishmael was pray, excuse me, praying. Perhaps he had learned uh, to pray to God from Abraham. And probably he had by this point of life, uh, 13, 14 years old. And, and so perhaps he got that. Uh, perhaps it is that Ishmael is there. And just as he's weeping and crying that, remember, God promised in the beginning of this very chapter that uh, he told Abraham that he would make a great nation out of Ishmael. And so God looks. He sees he takes note of this child but he speaks to Hagar she's the one who's there to do something about it and he's going to use Hagar uh, in order to fulfill his promise to Abraham and so we see here that uh, there's a lot of elements of what is happening then we come down to verse number 19 and we'll pick up in verse 19 at the beginning it says and God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water you know wouldn't that be something I've tried to think what it must have been like, perhaps sitting next to a rock, perhaps she found a little shrub herself to sit under so there was at least some shade. And and I just imagine her sitting there and God hearing and God comes to speak to her. She knows this voice perhaps. She's spoken with God previously at the uh, well of Bear Lehorai. And uh, so she she knows this voice. She's heard this and she's she's been a part of it. She knows this is that God that looks after her, the God that uh, sees her in her time of greatest need. This is that God who paid attention the last time she was in a similar situation and and so she's here and perhaps she hears the voice of God and can you just imagine God saying hey Hagar look up can you imagine she she looks where she's already looked perhaps where she's already walked she looks right where uh, she has been for some time apparently and all of a sudden that which did not appear to be there before was there it's not that it wasn't there before but her eyes were not open to see it previously But now she looks and God opens her eyes. And now all of a sudden she sees this well. Don't you think maybe she would have said, well, Lord, why didn't you just let me see that last time? I mean, before all this. You ever felt that way? Why is God letting it get to this point in my life or this point in our nation or this point uh, in our family before he shows us an answer? Why is he allowing us to just be in this wilderness situation? Why is he allowing me to go through all of this? And in reality, the well was there the whole time. She could have said, well, Lord, what what about earlier? Why didn't you just let me see it earlier? Maybe she said, man, what is wrong with me? My son's dying and I couldn't even see the well that was right there. I mean, what is wrong with me? Have you ever been tempted to wonder what's wrong with yourself? Yeah, it must just be something wrong. No, no, And sometimes there might be something wrong with some of us. But the reality is that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just simply that God is not ready yet to give the answer. He allows us to walk through some of this wilderness, to walk to the place. And oftentimes in the life of somebody who does not know Christ as their Savior, God will allow them to go to the place that we call it in our vernacular in the United States of America, the end of their rope. I mean, there at the very end, there seems to be no hope. Nothing seems to make any sense anymore. And God lets them come there because it is when we hit the bottom that often we're willing to look up. Often we're willing to allow him to be the one that our eyes turn to. And so here is a woman that uh, she is out here. And I see the first observation this morning is the presence of the well. The well, uh, it was available the whole time, but her eyes had to be opened before she could see it. 
You know, the Bible tells us that there is a fountain. We sung about it just a moment ago, that fountain filled with blood. You know, there's a well that is available, if we could say it that way this morning. There's a well of salvation. Remember, as Jesus stood uh, next to that well that one day, and he spoke to that woman, uh, that great sinner of a woman, that everybody else said, even his own disciples, why would he even have a conversation with somebody like this? Now, remember what he told her, I am the water, I am the living water, I'm the one who you need to drink of. And that's what the picture is here of the Old Testament well, looking forward to the one who would be the living water. And here comes a woman who this this well was there, it was available the whole time, but she didn't understand it and she couldn't see it until her eyes were opened by God. You know, that's why the Bible says the spirit and the bride must say come before somebody can come and understand their need of Jesus as their Savior. That's why it is that there must be the drawing, the working of the Holy Spirit of God. Because I can tell somebody until I'm blue in the face the facts of eternal life and the facts of how to know for sure you're on your way to heaven and the facts of what the Bible says. But until the Spirit of God opens their eyes, they can't see the well. They can't understand the reality of the depth of their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's a woman, the the well was available just as today for every single person in our society and in our area who needs to hear the gospel and trust Jesus as their Savior that we just heard sung about a moment ago in that uh, song that Miss Jaleen sang, uh, a great song, our need to be working for the Savior and presenting the gospel because people are dying every day and going to hell. And there are people all around us in that condition. And if we understand understand the scripture, we look at that and from a Christian mindset and and worldview, we look and we say, why in the world would they reject Christ and go to hell for eternity? It makes no sense. Here is Jesus. He loves them. He died for them. This fountain is filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Why will they not partake and be saved? And yet for so many, it's because their eyes need to be opened. It's because while the well is available, they don't really understand their need. I see the, uh, the presence of the well. By the way, that is what the soul winner's duty is. That's what the Christian's duty is, is to go out and tell others there is a well. And it's freely available. It's available to all. And if you'll come and partake, Jesus said, whosoever will may come. It's available to you. But you must choose to partake of the well. I see, first of all, the presence of the well. But secondly, I see the provision of the well. The Bible tells us here, and again in verse number 19, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the bottle with water. The provision of the well. Uh, First of all, she sees it. She realizes she can partake. But now she's able to go and draw it out, even in a condition and in a place of death. Isn't it amazing? She's got no ability. She's got nothing she can do. The only thing that she has the ability to do, she cannot work for it. She cannot go dig a well. She cannot go and provide her own water. The only thing she can do is to receive of that which has already been prepared. And isn't that exactly how salvation is? We can't go dig a well. We can't go make a way of salvation. We can work as hard as we might want. We can do all the good things in the world. And yet the Bible says that if any man keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point, he's guilty of all. We can't dig our own well. Aren't you glad that the provision's already been made? And aren't you glad that God allows sinful people, people with no ability and people with no strength, to be able to partake of that well? Oh, what a joy. 
What a joy to be able to come. And, and the Bible tells us here how she did it. It says that she uh, filled a bottle with water and gave the lad to drink. And so undoubtedly she would have taken a drink as well here. Uh, but this bottle of water, the bottle that Abraham gave her, probably a leather sack is what it would have looked like, what we might call it. And, uh, and it's this bottle of water that she's going to take. And so she fills the bottle, probably taking that then over to where she had left Ishmael. And, and, and now perhaps very weak in state, she's going to give him some water, some life-giving water. And, and he's going to partake of this well also. And isn't that a great picture of what God has for us to do? That we come to the well. We partake of the well. We trust Jesus as our Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know, Pastor, I mean, you're talking about uh, redemption. You're talking about being saved. And, and as exciting as it is, as wonderful as it is to be saved, I mean, I already know it. I've already dealt with it. I know the message. I know the story. I know how you do it because I've done it. And, and I've already partaken of the well. So what's in the message for me this morning? Here's one question. How full is your bottle? You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to come to the well, and then God has given us an ability to fill. Maybe we could picture it this way, the bottle of our mind. Have you filled it with Scripture? Have you filled it by preparing to give the gospel to others? Have you filled uh, so much from the well and from the Word of God, the well of the Scripture, that you're ready to go and present the gospel to others? Are you ready to give an answer to every man according to the hope that is in you? Have, you? have you filled? Because here's the reality. The well was not just partaken of by the one who came to the well itself, but now she's going to fill and take it out so others can partake. And you know what God has is He lets every person come to the well and partake, but then there's a sense in which we're supposed to take that life-giving, eternal life water and we're supposed to carry it out and give it to others and tell others how they can partake of the well and that's exactly what Hagar's doing she partakes then she carries the water of life over and she gives it to Ishmael her son the provision of the whale well was not it's not a whale it's a well amen but the and probably wasn't a whale in the well but the provision of the well was not just her now it's for others also She's carrying. She is a, a one who is helping others to partake. I see the presence of the well. I see the provision of the well. Number three this morning, I see the potential of the well. I see that it gave life to all who drank it. Hagar will live. Ishmael will live. Of course, the story will continue. The nation will come from Ishmael, and, and it's because of this life-giving water. It was carried in a bottle and given to others. It was uh, that which was taken so that Ishmael could move forward. I see the potential of the well. The potential of the well is that others will live, that those who are ready to die and go to hell for all of eternity, that they can be saved, and they can know Christ as their Savior because they come and partake of Jesus Himself, the life-giving water. I see the potential of the well. Number four, I see the progression from the well. Look at verse number 20. It tells us what happens. And God was with the lad, Ishmael. Now notice first, after the well. So here's the progression, what takes place afterwards. And he grew. Number one, he grew. You know what's supposed to happen? We come to the well. We partake of the well. 
We repent of our sin. We admit I'm a sinner and I cannot do anything to save myself. And I call upon Jesus. I understand that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again. And so as a sinner, I call out and I say, Lord, I can't do anything to save myself. But right now I'm calling on you. I'm asking you to save me as you promised that you would in your word. And I'm taking you at your word. And I'm asking you right now to save me and to forgive me of my sin. And the Bible says immediately we can partake of that well. We can be saved and uh, salvation is free. It's offered. But it's not the end of the story, amen? I mean, it's the beginning. At that moment, eternal life begins. You realize right now we're living in eternity? We're for eternity? I mean, our eternal life has already started, amen? It's not like we're living a temporal life and then we die and we start an eternal life. No, no, we're already living an eternal life. We just have a moment in there somewhere where we stop living it here and we start living it there, amen? So, so we're living this life that is an eternal life given to us by God. What an incredible thing. And here's what he says. It's not just about that. Here's, here's the, the message of Scripture beyond salvation is you didn't get saved for fire insurance. Now, the Bible doesn't say it that way, but you didn't get saved for fire insurance. It's not about getting out of hell. Now, that's a great byproduct, and some people will be saved because they're scared of hell, and the Bible deals with that in Jude, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the reality is that's not really the purpose of it. The purpose is that we go past there, that there's a progression, that we grow in Christ, that we have a relationship with him that deepens. And so we see here this child grew. Yes, it's talking about physically, but remember, those things that were written aforetime are written for our learning. This is a picture that we can take and we can draw and we can say, you know, what we're supposed to do after we partake of the well is to grow. And for us, we're not talking about physical, we're talking about spiritual growth. You know, it's irresponsible for a Christian to partake of the well and then refuse to grow. It would make no sense. And so we're to grow in that relationship and that walk with Christ. Then we see not only did he grow, but the Bible tells us, verse 20, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He became an archer. Uh, coming an archer in, you know, today's time probably means you go down to Cabela's, you buy a bow, and uh, you go out and practice. <laughs> But in this time, you had to learn how to make the bow. You had to learn how to make the arrow. You had to learn how to make them in such a manner that they would actually be efficient and do the job to be able to hunt and provide for your family. I mean, it was a big deal, and it required a whole lot of discipline. It required a whole lot of training. It required a whole lot of effort. Here's the idea of this. He became an archer. In other words, this wasn't something that happened by accident. He labored at it. He worked at it. He was disciplined for it. He gave everything that he had to this thing of becoming an archer. You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to go after we're saved and grow in Christ. While we're in this life, we're in a sense living in the wilderness. We look forward to one day when we get home, amen? But here we're strangers and pilgrims in a foreign land. And while we're here, we should become skilled with the word of God. We should become those who are not just, uh, oh yes, I love Jesus, and, and that's wonderful. And yes, that needs to be there. We grow, but also there's labor that's put in. There's diligence that's put in. There's discipline that must be in the Christian life so that we can learn to take the truths of the word of God and we can use them efficiently and in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, that we can uh, learn how to present them in a way that it uh, uh, pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. I, I mean, we need to be able to take the word of God and use it efficiently and effectively. We ought to become, in a sense, spiritual archers. 
You know, the Bible does tell us our children are like arrows. We get to launch them out into that next generation. What a joy to be able to do that. But the Word of God and the truths of the Word of God also, we ought to know how to take and how to aim them accurately and how to use them effectively. That's how we prepare our children. And that's how we help one another. That's how we encourage one another. Uh, That's how we exhort one another. Amen? It's not that we exhort one another by always saying something encouraging. Exhortation's much beyond encouragement. Exhortation is, let me tell you, here's an arrow of truth from the Word of God, and we need to take that and use it and be bold with the Word of God. And, and so we see here the progression from the well. There ought to be growth in the Christian life. There ought to be discipline in the Christian life. There ought to be training and labor and all these things. And we ought to look at it as, how can I do the most possible for the Lord Jesus Christ? We're moving fast, but the well here pictures redemption. Here comes a woman who previously she knew about this God. She believed in this God, but she'd never partaken yet of the well. But now, Genesis 21, she partook of the well. She gave to others that they may partake of the well. And then after that, growth came and training came. and, And all of a sudden, there's a moving, there's a progression that goes on from the well. Oh, it's an exciting story. It's a wonderful picture. But you know, the picture of this well is two-sided. The picture of this well is not just a picture of redemption. uh, Yes, of redemption, of repentance. She repented. It's not just a picture of repentance. That's Hagar's side. It is also a picture of redemption. And that's the other side. That's Abraham's side. Look at what the Bible says. Verse number 21 And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. So that kind of finishes the story on the one side. Then on the other side, the story's going to pick up. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now, therefore, swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt show unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not who hath done this thing, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it but today. So here we have another side of this story. Uh, We'll see this is the same well. And so Abraham comes and he has this conversation with Abimelech. And Abimelech says, look, I know God blesses you and I don't want you to attack me. And so let's make a peace treaty here. And Abraham says, all right, that's fine. We'll do that. But here's the thing. Some of your servants came and they took away this well violently over here and uh, probably attacked his servants to do it apparently. And so uh, that's an issue. And he says, look, I didn't know anything about it. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't even know. I mean, he's here to make a peace treaty. And now he finds out his people have been out attacking uh, the guy that he's trying to make a peace treaty with. And he's like, I'm sorry, Abraham. I didn't know about all that. We'll try to make that right. And and so that's the whole background of this whole thing here uh, is what's happening and what's going on. Then verse number 27. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, what meaneth these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. So we see here in verse number 27, there's the making of a covenant. 
Abraham comes and with Abimelech, he makes the covenant. The covenant is sealed, uh, uh, really, or the uh, part of the covenant, the giving of these animals. So he's saying, look, I'm, I'm giving you these as a token of the fact that we're making this covenant. We are covenanting one with another, uh, that this is going to be the situation. So there's the making of the covenant. Then in verse number 28, he sets aside these seven lambs. Of course, seven is the number of perfection. Isn't it interesting? He sets aside the number of perfection of lambs. And so the picture here would be the perfect lamb. By Christ and his perfection, of course, God made the covenant. But then what he did is he ratified it with an oath. He ratified it with the perfect lamb. The the covenant is made, but the covenant was of no strength, the testament of no strength until the testator died, the Bible tells us. And so uh, the reality is that while the testament was made, that God would make a covenant with man, that the covenant was of no power, it was of no authority. That's why we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. That Old Testament, it's God's testament to man. It is God making a, a covenant with man, an agreement with man. And then now we live under that new testament that new time that new covenant that he has made with man and praise god we got a new covenant amen because he took that old handwriting of ordinances that was against us nailing it to his cross praise the lord he dealt with that praise the lord we're not under that old testament law but under the new testament the new covenant that we're under the grace of god and here was his covenant that if we would come to him if we would come by the way of the cross if we'd be washed clean by the blood of the perfect spotless lamb the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, that we would not, as the old covenant would say, have our sins covered, but according to the New Testament, that our sins are washed away, they're dealt with, they're forgiven, and they are gone forever, even from the memory of God. What a testament. What an opportunity. And so God made that covenant, that testament with us. When we get saved, we enter into a covenant relationship. Not that of Old Testament Israel, as someone tried to say, but it is a covenant that God's made. It's a testament that he's given. It is God who says that he has given us a promise. That's what a covenant is. It is a promise of everlasting life. That's why if somebody says you can lose it, they have a problem. They're saying that God will break his word if you don't do everything perfect. You can't lose it because it's the testament of God. It's the promise of God himself. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and I give unto them eternal life. If he gave it to us for eternity, he can't take it without breaking his word. Amen? Give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And by the way, I and my Father are one. You know what God says? I've got you so secure, you're double in the fists of God. Ain't anybody, nothing you can do and nothing the devil can do to get you out. Our salvation's secure. It's a covenant. It's a promise from God himself that we are secure eternally. God made a promise. God then sealed that with his own blood. What a testament. What power. Is it any wonder that in Hebrews it says that we cannot be saved by any other way because we'd be trampling underfoot the blood of the, or, or trampling underfoot the Son of God. We'd be literally taking his sacrifice and saying, no, I don't need that. I've got my own way. God says there is no other way. There's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh to the Father but by me. We can't trample his work. We can't trample the Son of God underfoot and still be saved. And so we see here this perfect picture of the perfect lamb, the lamb of God, seven ewe lambs set aside and seven ewe lambs that will be given as the purchasing of the well. Abraham, uh, in several places in the Old Testament, he's the picture uh, of God the Father in type. And here we see that again as God the Father, he's the one who dug the well. As God the Father, he's the one who gave the promise and made the covenant. As God the Father, he's the one who bought the well. Aren't you glad he was willing to make you and then also buy you? What a promise. What a God we serve. And so that's exactly what we see here. He's built the well. He dug the well. But now he has purchased the well. And it's a matter of an oath. It's a matter of a covenant. It's a, a matter of a promise from God. Then verse number 30, the Bible tells us, And he said, for these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Now, think about the the picture. Think about the completion of this picture as we see it here. Here's the picture. Abraham dug the well. But Abraham, who pictures God the Father, he dug the well before there was ever a need for Ishmael to drink of the well. And God had promised he would make a nation out of him. I wonder if he hadn't have dug the well. I mean, I know God could take him somewhere else, but what if he hadn't dug the well where he was supposed to dig the well? But he dug the well. He's the picture of God the Father. He made the provision of the well. Not only did he buy the well, but he bought the well. Not only did he buy the well, not only did he dig the well, but he's the one who promised and showed others how to come and partake of the well. He's the one who does it all. He's the one who did all the work. It's really all the work of God. All we are are partakers of what he's already provided. And when we come in repentance, when we come and partake of the well, we're not partaking because we're good enough. We're not partaking because we deserve it. And we're not partaking because, well, we've done all these things. No, no, no. We're just partaking on what he's done, what he's bought, what he's paid for, what he's promised. It's all him. It's all God. It's all how great he is. We just get to benefit from it by coming to Jesus, the well of eternal life, and partaking. Simple question this morning. Have you partaken of the well? Maybe you're here last week and you'd say, you know, Pastor, I understand who Jesus is and and I understand all those things, but I don't know if I've ever partaken, if I've ever actually received Jesus as my personal Savior. Have you ever come in repentance? You see, these pictures have to be in exact order because we have to understand who Jesus is. That's revelation. Before there can really be repentance, that's turning from our sin to Jesus, understanding he's God. And that must happen before there can be redemption. That is God redeeming or buying us back, purchasing us from that sin nature which we have been born into. That God, through his blood, has purchased us, that he will cleanse us and set us free. Have you ever been to that place of coming to God, saying, look, I'm a sinner. I understand I'm a sinner. Will you forgive my sin? I know who Jesus is. I believe that you died, that you were buried, that you rose again. I understand that. And now I'm coming to God. I'm coming to Jesus, repenting of my sin and asking you to forgive me, to redeem me for all of eternity. It's interesting. Verse number 31, the final verse we'll look at. Wherefore, He called that place Beersheba because there they swear, both of them. The word Beersheba 
We saw last week that bear, it means a deep shaft or a well. But bear Sheba, Sheba is oath. This is called the well of the oath. And so Abraham names it here, the well of the oath. You say, well, how do you know that's where Hagar was? Remember back in verse number 14 where it said that she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. She came to this well. The one Abraham bought, the one he provided, that she was just able to partake of. Have you partaken of the well? Have you come to the place where you're saved and you know you're going to heaven, not because of how good you are or what you've done, but because of the promise of God according to the word of God? That is when salvation can be assured. That's when eternal life becomes known and real. When it's not based on me, it's based on him and his promise. Have you done that? You say, Pastor, I've been there. I've done that. I've partaken of the well. I've partaken of eternal life. Wonderful. Let me ask you the next question. How, how many bottles are you filling? Are you filled with the word of God? Are you filled with boldness to go out and tell others how they can partake of the well? Because that's what we need to be doing every single day. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for how good you are. We thank you for your word and the power of it. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to take this Old Testament picture that looks forward to Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would help us today to make application to our own lives. Lord, if there's anyone who needs to be saved, you've said that now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Would you help today to be the day? Would you help them to make a decision even this morning before leaving this building to know for sure that heaven would be their eternal home, not based on anything they've done, but based on the promise of the word of God. And then, Lord, for those who are saved this morning that are gathered, would you help us to be uh, diligent, preparing, working, laboring, Lord, like an archer of the Old Testament, that we would be uh, diligent in our preparation with the gospel and with the word of God. Would you help us to fill the bottle, to carry it to others, that we would tell them how they might know you as their Savior. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.